Welcome into a wild card round preview edition of the designated for assignment podcast. Rob Wong and Josh Goldberg with you as always. Get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong three four and at J Goldberg twelve. It is hard to believe it, Josh, but uh, we are here. One sleep away from the wild card round. Blue Jays and Mariners set to kick things off 4 p.m. Eastern on a Friday afternoon. Good thing because it uh, feels like in years past, maybe the Jays would have gotten jobbed and got the noon start that the Guardians and the Rays are getting. But because the Mariners are a West Coast team, Major League Baseball obviously wanted to be a little bit kind to them and not force people to get up at 9 a.m. on a work day to try to watch playoff baseball, especially for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs for 21 years. That would be pretty cruel for for Mariners fans. Yeah, I think the only reason... Um at the end of the day is probably that. And, you know, guardians uh, raise was meant to be a noon start. That's a noon start. Those two teams outside of people who are really into baseball and obviously fans of those two clubs, that's a hard sell. There's not a lot of star power. There's not a lot of excitement surrounding that series. Neither of those teams really forecast is a team to watch in terms of going deep. Whereas, you know, like the Jays and Mariners, I think outside of probably San Diego and the Mets, and you could certainly make the argument is the most exciting wildcard series. There's talent uh, all over the field, obviously offensively fireworks potential with home runs, great pitching, you know, bullpens on both sides, particularly in Seattle's case that can really get the job done. It has all the makings of a classic series. I know a lot of Jays fans are already saying, Oh, well, home field advantage is going to be a sweep. I would uh, pump the brakes on that. Seattle is not some pushover team that you should just be saying, oh, well, uh, now that we've got this home field advantage, it's going to be a walk in the park. They haven't been to the playoffs in a long time. They're playing, I think, to an extent with house money. I don't know how much pressure there necessarily is going to be on them. There's definitely going to be way more pressure, I think, on the Blue Jays. And I think Seattle has the recipe to have success in the playoffs. It could easily go awry, but usually you're looking for home runs and a good bullpen uh, as the backbone of your club in the playoffs. And Seattle has that. They hit home runs. They're not a particularly good offensive team, but they do hit home runs and they have one of the better bullpens of any of the 12 teams in the postseason. So uh, if the Jays aren't sharp, uh, it's not going to be some situation where they won't be able to, where they'll be able to advance without their best. They're going to have to be good if they want to beat Seattle. Yeah, and if you're into you know Vegas odds and stuff, the Blue Jays are anywhere between a minus one fifty to one sixty favorite, which out of the wild card series is uh, the second biggest favorite. The Mets obviously big time favorites against the San Diego Padres in their NL wild card series. But as you know, we always say with baseball, you know anything can happen. I mean, John Schneider said that himself in his pregame uh, media availability uh, prior to Game One that you know on a one game sample, like anything can happen. So um, you kind of have to. Throw throw the Vegas odds uh, out of there, but it just kind of gives you a sense of, you know, where the Blue Jays and Mariners are at heading into the series. But uh, like you said, this is not a team that you want to mess with. I kept going back and forth for the final few weeks of the season thinking, Rays Mariners, Mariners Rays, like who would I rather face? And at first it was Rays, and then a few days ago it was Mariners, and then just before I was like, you know what, the Rays would have been a better matchup. I would have felt a lot better about it because I just looked at their offense and I thought, you know, sure, uh, G-Man Choi could run into a three-run bomb, uh, but that's unlikely. Uh, but, you know, Cal Raleigh, Julio Rodriguez, Eugenio Suarez, 
those guys could easily run into a three-run bomb. Um, and that's the threat that the Mariners offer. They hit a lot of dingers. They have a lot of pop. Uh, and, of course, their their pitching is really strong. And, you know, I was really interested to see what would happen in game one and who Scott Service would go as his game one starter. You know, I thought maybe Robbie Ray because, of course, he was the big money free agent. I thought maybe the Mariners um, would decide, you know, he's the guy that we went after. We got to give him that uh, game one start just because of the clout. Uh, but, no, they end up going Luis Castillo, which – albeit is the right move. I mean, I don't think it would have made sense to save Luis Castillo for game three or something and pitch uh, Logan Gilbert ahead of him, uh, who's also a solid pitcher. Uh, But Castillo, out of the three guys, he's the scariest fucking guy out of all three of them, right? Like Robbie Ray, we know what he's about, and there are games, we've seen it, where he is dominant and can strike out 12 and give up no runs over six innings. But then you see a game like his last start where he gets knocked around by jobbers from Oakland and you're feeling like, okay, this is a good matchup for the Jays. But, you know, Luis Castillo, I know the last couple of starts haven't been great, but he still throws 100 miles an hour. He's got a devastating changeup. He's got a wipeout slider. Like, he was built to face this Blue Jays lineup. Yeah, he's the one that uh, I don't feel good about whatsoever. And as great as Manoa is, like you could certainly make the argument that's a toss-up situation. I know Manoa is going to get some Cy Young votes and Castillo won't. But I think in seven starts, Castillo with the Mariners had a 3-1-1 ERA, way better than a strikeout per inning pitch, was excellent. And he is built, I think, in some ways to neutralize this Blue Jays lineup, right? He can manipulate both sides of the plate he can command all of his stuff right he's going to get a ton of swing and miss he's going to get a lot of chase with that change up you know if he's not sharp he's not sharp but i don't love that matchup i have to say and you know you gotta win game one man because you fall behind either way like if you're seattle you're down oh one you got to win two straight on the road that's tough yeah, if you're at home, you saw the the cushion of home field advantage. But if the Jays don't win game one with their best pitcher on the mound and everyone's ready, rested to go, fans are chomping at the bid, electric atmosphere, that's a tough one to immediately bounce back from and then have to win two straight. So it's not – it's pretty obvious. It's not earth-shattering news to say, you know, by and large, if you win game one – probably what, at least an 80% chance, I would think it's 75, 80% or higher that you're going to go on to win the series. So, you know, it's, I I don't love that matchup. I have to say you got to get, and you also got to get to Seattle starters because they're, they have such a deep versatile bullpen that even if you get to them, uh, they have enough long guys that they could stay competitive if their offense can get back into it. And then obviously mid and short options, high leverage, they have a multitude of different guys who can attack you in a lot of different ways. And you don't want to get into a bullpen game because, uh, or a battle of bullpens because Seattle's trances Toronto's. I don't, anyone who tries to argue that the blue Jays have a competitive bullpen with Seattle's you're lying to yourself. Seattle's a way better bullpen top to bottom, like Romano and Garcia are, are, and other guys have had moments obviously, but Seattle's bullpen is just, full of monsters and it's not what you want to see in a short series. And the Jays obviously are going to have their work cut out for them. uh, Anytime they go up against pretty much any of those relievers. 
Yeah, it's funny when you talk about their bullpen and their starters. And, you know, we just talked a little bit as well about the offense that they can put out there. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, I'm sure, you know, I think there are a lot of Blue Jays fans that are very confident heading into this series thinking, oh, God, the Mariners, they're playing like garbage against teams like the Royals and the A's and the Rangers and the Angels. Like they couldn't beat those teams enough down the stretch here to get the first wild card. Like, are they actually going to be able to put up a fight against the Blue Jays? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they are scary. But on the flip side as well, you know, if you're the Mariners, I don't think you feel great about playing the Blue Jays either. I think you would have felt better facing the Guardians yeah. uh, in a first-round series. So uh, it's just funny on both sides, I think, for each fan base. It's sort of like, yeah, this is about a bad, as bad of a matchup as it could have been for the wild card round. And it's honestly, you know, a flip of the coin. And that's what makes this series uh, so, so intriguing. So let's go through the positions on each team. And let's begin with the pitching. Uh, like you said, uh, if it goes the distance and it goes three games, Castillo, Ray, Gilbert for the Mariners, Manoa and either Stripling or Gossman uh, in game two. And obviously for game three uh, in uh, potential order there. Who do you think has the edge here in starting pitching? Is it pretty much 50-50, you know, split down the middle? Or do you think either side has an edge uh, in that aspect? I actually think that the shorter series kind of hampers Seattle a little bit because if it was a best of five or best of seven, then you expand it out and you bring George Kirby and Jose Barrios into the mix. And it's like, okay, there you go. There's a big advantage for Seattle. I think... You know, the swing guy is Ross Stripling, where whenever he pitches in a vacuum, I know everyone is is so high on Logan Gilbert. And I understand why Logan Gilbert's a nice young arm and had had a great season. But why are we just saying that a guy who's never pitched in a postseason game and had a very nice year, you know, three, two, oh, ERA, three, four, six, FIP, you know, it had a higher expected ERA that he's all of a sudden just going to be like, oh, well, he's going to be dominant in the postseason. I know he's got great stuff. He throws hard, all of that righty against this Blue Jays right hand dominant lineup. But I'm not sure that Logan Gilbert is light years better or better at all right now than Ross Stripling. And if those guys end up facing each other in a potential game three, I'd probably take, I know Stripling's had some inconsistency in his playoff career, but has had some moments and has been great all season. I'm continuing to bet on him because he's defied expectations all season long. And then Gosman and Ray, I don't think is, I don't think that's, it's that close. Like I know Robbie Ray had a good year, but Kevin Gosman had a way better year. And I think his ceiling right now is way higher than Robbie Ray's Robbie Ray. You know, it's some issues down the stretch. He struggled in September and has struggled in the postseason. He's got a five and a half ERA in his postseason career. And we saw it in Toronto last year down the stretch in big starts. He didn't exactly shine through bright. He was not very good. And maybe there's a penchant for not being amazing when the spotlight is brightest. And then game one, uh, you know, it's uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's monster versus monster. So that to me is kind of a wash, but I don't think a lot of people will look at, you know, Seattle right away and say, oh, well, they've got this great rotation. They're they're way better than the Jays or even they are better than the Jays. And I don't think it's as cut and dry in that as that. I, I think you could actually make the argument that the Jays have the superior rotation. 
Yeah, and with regards to Gilbert, you know, like you said, he's having a really strong season, but um, he is susceptible to righties. He's, uh, at least for this season, has reverse splits, and righties have smashed him around pretty good. And Robbie Ray, of course, has a lot of issues against right-handed hitters. So um, those guys are potentially, you know, at this stage of the season, you're playing good pitchers, and um, it's not going to be easy necessarily, but those guys are, you know, good matchups for the Blue Jays' offense. But I think what's going to be interesting is because of the depth that the Mariners have, you know, is the leash on their starters going to be shorter because they want to shorten the game as much as possible. And if look, Luis Castillo is rolling and they're up six, nothing, they're going to let him ride. But if they're only up two nothing and he's third time through the order, like, do they just decide, you know what, we're going to go to the pen. Same with Robbie Ray, same at a potential Logan Gilbert start. Whereas I think it's sort of the opposite for the blue Jays that, Mm -hmm. you know, John Schneider obviously has faith in Romano, Garcia, and Bass. But beyond that, like, does he, would he rather, you know, Manoa, Stripling, Gosman go a little bit longer and push them a third time through the order than, you know, bring in Tim Meza in the fifth or sixth inning in a one-run ball game? Like, I think that's what's interesting here, that maybe the Blue Jays, uh, you know, starters are going to be leaned on a little bit, little bit more heavily than the Mariners starters. Yeah, I think that's a good point, honestly. I, I, I... I'm I've been the pessimistic guy on the Jays bullpen. I feel like all year and they've been better as of late. And then, you know, it's been up and down really all season long. And how many guys do you really, really unequivocally trust regardless of the situation to get outs in a postseason situation setting? And I think beyond uh, Romano and I think Garcia, I think you could bass Mesa, you know, Simber, I think you could make an argument. Bass, especially against righties, I think I would have confidence. Lefties, not so, not as much. Outside of those two guys, there are question marks. Whereas, you know, you could say the same thing about some of Seattle's guys, you know, the proven postseason experience. You know, that might be a factor to an extent, but they have a lot of guys who have pitched in a lot of different situations who have gotten outs in big spots uh, all season long. So uh, I do think that the Jays are, especially when it comes to um, to Manoa and uh, Gosman, they're going to be pushing as much as they can for those guys to give at least six, right? If preferable um, to go at least six and then, you know, figure out a way depending on what the game script is in terms of how you utilize your bullpen. Stripling will have a shorter leash because he's had a shorter leash, I think, for the most part. Uh, during the regular season. And he's just pitched so well that it hasn't necessarily mattered, especially since June. But I look at, you know, whenever Stripling starts, Jose Brios is on the ready. And if, you know, Stripling only goes three and a third or, or four or something, and it's not even that he pitched that badly. It's just, okay, we like the situation here. We're going to pull him. Brios is probably going to go in after that. Uh, I would think for, I don't know, maybe two it's all it's it's hard to know. You can't it's really hard to forecast bullpen deployment in a in a postseason setting because it's all so matchup dependent and where you are in the game and the score and you know all sorts of mitigating factors. So saying, you know, how we think it might go is obviously just a fool's errand because you know, playoffs are a whole different animal and things happen sometimes. Uh, that totally make you recalibrate what you thought was possible going into a particular game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with Barrios, like you said, the potential for him to come in in the middle of a game in, you know, game two or game three, like I could see that. I could also see him, you know, coming in in extra innings if it gets to that point. I could also see him just not pitching at all in the wild card round uh, if the Blue Jays can help it. And uh, if he doesn't pitch, I mean, maybe that means that uh, they are having success. But uh, yeah, the starting pitching for me, it is so close. I mean, you can honestly flip a coin uh, for both of these teams, but I think I might just lean the Blue Jays. just a little bit in that matchup. The pen, as you mentioned, no brainer. Seattle's pen is better. I know people love some of the guys on the Blue Jays, but uh, just the numbers don't match it. There's just too much firepower, too many mutants, as we like to say, on Seattle's end, whether it's a, you know, a Matt Brash or a Diego Castillo, uh, Paul Seawald, of course, uh, Andres Munoz. Like, There's just too many guys uh, on that side that um, are better than the Blue Jays. Like, it, like if you just look at you know Jordan Romano, who is obviously the best pitcher uh, reliever on the Blue Jays, like where would he rank in the Mariners' pen? Like is he above Paul Seawald and Andres Munoz? Like I I don't know. Like it's <laughs> he might be the third best guy out of those two, uh, out of those that that trio. And I mean even Matt Brash, who since being moved to the pen has given up like a one earned run in like twenty one so innings. Good. Like yeah. he's been ridiculous. So mm-hmm. as much as we love Jordan Romano and as great of a season as he's having. I think that just kind of goes to show just how deep this Mariners pen is. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like uh, they've had, we haven't really talked a ton about Eric Swanson, who has also been uh, really, really, really good. And, you know, they like, I, I would still take Romano because he has, he pitched in, he, he should be really ready for the grind, the meat grinder of the postseason because basically all of his save chances were high, high leverage. He did how many three run save opportunities or three run lead save opportunities did he have? Not a ton. It was a lot of two runs or a lot of one run um, save opportunities. And for the most part, he did an excellent job. So I I think you could still absolutely make the, uh, the argument that he's the best reliever, but I don't think it's uh, outlandish to look at, you know, like you said, Munoz with his 39% strikeout rate and his 6% walkout rate or Swanson, 34% strikeout rate, 4.9 walk, uh, walk rate. Penn Murphy is really good. 28% K rate, six and a half percent walks. They're all their relievers. Like we haven't even really talked about Diego Castillo, who I know that the Jays have had success against in the past, but he's still a, a quality reliever and he's way down the pecking order. Um, when it comes to their bullpen alignment, you know, Matt Boyd has been good since he went into the bullpen. He's got a one, three, five ERA and in 10 relief appearances, it's not ideal. Again, it's just, there's a lot of guys there that I don't feel particularly comfortable in terms of how you're going to be able to square those guys up. And we saw it in, I know it's a totally different circumstance, but we saw it on display in the middle of July before, you know, the Jays made the managerial change. It got swept there. They had a large mountain to climb and a real difficult time really doing any sort of damage in a lot of close ball games. Um, against the bullpen they had some moments you know the Sunday game there were a couple Boba Shed hit a tie-breaking home run there were a few moments but by and large they struggled to produce against that bullpen and you just hope that's not a harbinger of things to come and they find a way to be productive against some of these guys all right, let's move around the diamond. Let's begin at the catcher position. The Blue Jays with Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and uh, potentially Gabriel Moreno uh, making the playoff roster. 
I think it's pretty clear that they have the edge there, but you know, Cal rally is not a guy to, you know, look past. He hit a lot of bombs this year. It was interesting. I was actually on one sports betting site and just looking at some props and for the wild card rounds, he is the favorite to hit the most homers in the wild card round, which like blew my mind. Uh, I think he's got 27 on the year. The majority of them are against right-handed uh, pitching uh, Pete Alonso up there, Julio Rodriguez, Eugenio Suarez. I think some of the favorites as well. So, I mean, as we said, the, the Mariners hit bombs. They hit a lot of dingers. And uh, Cal Rowley is uh, a guy that can do that uh, on the regular. But I think it's pretty clear that the Blue Jays have the edge here at the catching position, not only just with the depth, but, you know, at the, the top part of it. Danny Jansen's had an incredible season. Alejandro Kirk's been strong. And, you know, if for whatever reason, both of those guys go down, you've got uh, Gabriel Moreno, who showed us a little something in the uh, the final few games of the season. Yeah, I think the Jays have the edge here. I, I do think it's it's close because Cal Raleigh is a underrated gem. You know, he put up a four win season, really good defensively. And yeah, he hit two eleven, had a two eighty four on base, but he hit twenty seven home runs. You know, you hit have that kind of pop and you're good defensively. That's a good catcher, and he's a good catcher. And uh he's the type who if you do make mistakes, uh, or even sometimes he's capable of hitting good pitches out uh, for home runs. He can do damage. So the Jays are going to have to be careful with him. He's a guy to keep uh, on your radar as somebody who could do damage, no question. And uh, yeah, Kirk and Jansen, yeah, you feel real good about that. I do wonder if Moreno is going to be on the roster. I'm more buying into that possibility than I would have been a week ago. I, I just think that the added insurance, if you're going to play those two catchers and something unforeseen happens, you have another quality catcher on the bench uh, to replace somebody in that scenario. So I, I do think that it's more likely, but yeah, I would go with the Jays uh, in, in this battle. But like I said, it's not as uh, far or wide of a margin as some might think. All right. Shifting over to first base and, at first glance, you would think this is an absolute no-brainer that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. would be the selection here and that the Blue Jays have the edge. But if we're just looking objectively, you know, taking off the Blue Jay caps and just looking at the numbers, Ty France uh, on the season, very similar numbers to Vladdy outside of, you know, the homers, of course. Uh, France with a 127 WRC+, plus. Uh, Vladdy finishing the season at 132. The uh, defense is pretty similar from both of these guys with regards to, you know, defensive runs saved. We obviously know that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at his top end is much better, has a higher ceiling than Ty France. But if we're just looking at the numbers uh, from what they've done this season, it might be a lot closer than I think maybe people would expect. Where where would you lean uh, in the first base battle and who has the edge there? It's close. It's Vladdy by a hair, but uh, it it you could make the argument that it's France right now because Vladdy was dreadful down the stretch. Like that's probably... Um, honestly, putting it politely, he was terrible down the stretch. As great as a lot of Blue Jays hitters were, you know, Vladdy hit 235 with a 290 on base over the last month of the season, was chasing a ton, which is also not what you want. And there's a his walk rate, his walk rate cratered. And there's a lot of pitchers on this Mariner staff who should be able, if he's not locked in and is continuing to expand the zone and showing that impatience, can take advantage. So, you know, Ty France is a super aggressive hitter as well. He doesn't strike out a ton. He also doesn't walk a ton. He makes a good amount of contact. Dangerous hitter, not uh, somebody to be trifled with. You know, if you're not sharp, 
he's the type of guy who's going to put the ball in play, whether it's a home run or not. He's not going to be a fun AB at any point during this series. So it's close, you know, on talent alone, it's not close, but with the way that they're both producing right now, I still give Vladdy the nod of somebody that I expect to maybe make more of an impact in this series, but uh, it is very, very close. Like a very photo finished thin margin, which is not an ideal situation to be in if you're a Blue Jays fan. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy that uh, goes against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. because he very easily can make you look silly in two games and uh, just destroy the Mariners pitching. Um, and I don't want to be the other guy as well that's like trying to galaxy brain and be like, oh, well, you know, it's high France. Like he's uh, pretty good this year. Um, you know, he might be able to match Vladdy blow for blow here. And, and maybe he does, but I just can't in my right mind uh, go against Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Anytime he steps up to the plate, we just know he has that dynamite there. Uh, we saw it, you know, uh, against uh, the Phillies, uh, you know, against Sir Anthony Dominguez, you know, crushed that ball. And then we saw it in Baltimore. It took Dean Kramer over that stupid left field wall in Baltimore. Like he just everyone, every time he comes to the plate, he's got the chance to do something special. Um, so I will lean uh, Vladdy in this first base matchup. Now, uh, second base, uh, of course. Uh, was Santiago Esmeralds for a long, long time, and then he got injured, and now Whit Merrifield has taken the ball and run with it, has looked like the old Whit Merrifield. Like, it's crazy how much he has changed the perception of when he was first acquired and even the first couple of weeks with his poor performance, and now everybody loves Whit Merrifield. Like, he is <laughs> climbing up the ranks for uh, Blue Jays fans right now, and he has uh, taken this position and it is his. I mean, he can obviously play a little bit outfield as well, uh, which makes him versatile. Adam Frazier, the other guy on uh, the opposing end here for the Seattle Mariners, a guy that, you know, puts bats a ball, kind of run a little bit. He's uh, a pretty solid fielder as well. But uh, I mean, for me, this is a, a no brainer. Like Whit Merrifield is uh, my selection considering the way he's going right now. Yeah, you got to give the nod to the hotter hitter. And uh, Merrifield is hitting, uh, I believe, almost 400 over his last 15 games. Yeah, 392 over his final 15 games of the regular season with an OPS over 1,100, 20 hits and 51 at-bats. I will say this about Adam Frazier. I know he did not have a good year by any means, you know, 81 WRC+. plus. He's kind of an average hitter for his career but he ran a really low BABIP. It was 268. It was 339 in 2021. It's 303 for his career. He's going to put the ball in play. You just have to hope that it's soft contact um, right at guys, but he's not somebody who's going to strike out a ton. He's a thorn in the side type of playoff performer that I wouldn't be that surprised if he you know, has some success in this series. I think Merrifield sort of the same way. He's cut back on the strikeouts after like we talked about on a couple of days ago, it just seemed like, you know, he's pressing, not playing a lot out of rhythm. He's back in a rhythm and it's more the type of hitter that I think he's been when he's been at his best in his career. So uh, that's the type of player you want in the postseason who can make contact, who can run, who can play multiple positions, doesn't strike out a ton. Whit Merrifield checks all those boxes. Definitely going to be somebody who I think could have an impact on wins in, in this series. But I do think that Frazier you know, somebody that you shouldn't just write off as just a complete scrub. He's had good moments as a big leaguer, and I wouldn't be that surprised if uh, if he has some in the series. Yeah, I mean, he was a guy in previous seasons that I was kind of hoping the Blue Jays would go out and get 
uh, and then the Mariners snagged them up from the Padres uh, a couple of seasons ago. It was, it was the Padres, right? They made that uh, the deal uh, at the deadline, if I remember correctly, to uh, pick him up. So, yeah, he's a guy that's going to be pesky, you know, one of those guys that uh, can be a thorn in the side. But uh, the Blue Jays definitely have an advantage here. Shifting over to uh, shortstop, J.P. Crawford for the Seattle Mariners. Had a really good season a year ago offensively, and uh, this year um, has been you know pretty solid right around the same numbers. Uh, but last year definitely had a, a breakout campaign for Seattle. Um, but right now we're looking at uh, the peak version of Bo Bichette offensively anyways. There's going to be question marks about his defense, and you're hoping that uh, some of those plays that we saw that were not made earlier this year don't crop up at the absolute uh, worst time, but uh, kind of similar to, you know, Whit Merrifield and some of these other positions here. It's a, it's a no-brainer for me that uh, the Blue Jays are, uh, you know, in a spot here where they have the edge, especially at the shortstop position. Yeah, I think this is um, the easiest one to discuss. I know Bo has had his issues. Crawford hasn't been as good defensively this year as he has been in the past, but I'll take, you know, Bo's incredible offensive production even if it means, you know, there's some issues defensively, you don't want those in the playoffs, but I'm still taking him, you know, over Crawford, who's somewhat of a slap hitter, right? There's not a tremendous amount of pop there. He hit six home runs this year and 603 plate appearances. Bo led the American league in hits for the second straight year. First blue Jay to ever lead the league in hits in consecutive years. And he didn't even have that good of a year. He had an insane month of September and was good at another stretch of the season earlier, you know, kind of may, May, June-ish. Otherwise, he wasn't that good. And it speaks to how insane his talent is that even in a relative down year, he still leads the league and hits, had an OPS over 100, uh, 800, more than 90 RBIs, you know, just a stud. And no question, he's a superior shortstop uh, all around. Uh, I'm taking him over Crawford. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Third base, Matt Chapman, who has been absolutely frigid over the last uh, several weeks here, has gone into the tank. And uh, Eugenio Suarez on the other side for the Mariners. Both of these guys uh, obviously have a lot of pop in the bat. And Suarez is a guy who, you know, defensively has uh, stepped it up this year after being pretty bad in Cincinnati last year. Uh, we know how good Matt Chapman can be uh, at third base, but, you know, kind of similar to first base, Josh, is this one uh, a little bit closer uh, than it would be, you know, at first glance, or do you think maybe the defensive side of things gives Chapman the edge here? I'm going with Suarez actually. Um, you know, I'm a, unabashed Matt Chapman supporter. I have been, you know, all year, but he has been not good at the plate for the better part of a couple of weeks. Very streaky. Could easily get hot in the postseason. Wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, Suarez is just a, a, a guy that I think strikes a little bit of fear into a pitching staff. You know, he has that level of thump in his bat. And I understand he strikes out a ton, but you know, I, I think he's got four 30 home run seasons in the last five years, basically the last full 462 game seasons, full 162 game seasons. He's hit more than 30 home runs. He's a preeminent power hitter. And like you said, he's been better defensively. He had more war than Chapman this year in only five last games, but it's close. It's definitely not, you know, a landslide or anything. It's definitely close, but I think I would give the nod this year and heading into this series right now to Suarez. Yeah, I think uh, kind of similar to, as you mentioned, with Whit Merrifield, you're going with the hotter player right now. And uh, Suarez is is definitely that. He's obviously, you know, coming back from that uh, finger injury, a fractured finger, but, you know, looked okay 
heading into the final few games of the regular season. So it's, uh, you know, tough here to go against Matt Chapman because I'm like you, ride or die with uh, Matt Chapman. We know what he can do, but uh, Suarez definitely has been a key cog for the Mariners so far this season. Shifting to the outfield, left field is going to be interesting here because, of course, uh, we still, as of this taping, don't know the status of Lourdes Goriel Jr. If he's going to be ready, and uh, even if he is, if he's able to take the field. And on the flip side for the Mariners, um, they obviously are dealing with some injuries. Uh, Jesse Winker uh, done for the postseason with a neck injury. And then uh, Sam Haggerty injured himself in the final week of the regular season as well. That's a guy that can kind of play uh, all over the place. So, it looks like Jared Kalenic might get the first crack here. Uh, of course, the former uh, super prospect that hasn't been able to find his footing uh, at the major league level. Uh, Taylor Trammell probably going to be in the mix as well um, as a guy that's going to get some uh, starts here in the outfield for the Mariners. But if it's Rymel Tapia on the other side for the Blue Jays, how do you kind of uh, look at this you know, matchup between the uh, left field position? Well, I, I know that everyone would just be like, oh, well, Kelnick's got all this hype helium as a top prospect. He had some moments in September when he got called back up. I believe he's won for his last 23. Like he had a 55, I believe, WRC plus this year. You can strike him out. He does have thump in that bat, but is he like, I don't really see much in Jared Kelnick. You know, I could rue that uh, somewhat, but. He's probably right. Is he better defensively than Tapia? Maybe, but I I have said this and I'm going to ride or die with this. I have said that Rymel Tapia's game is suited to postseason baseball. There's a little anarchy in there, right? The way he runs, the way he swings, everything about it. You know, you have your, you know, your heart in your throat a little bit when you're watching Tapia play, but I just feel like his ability to make contact is going to be something that, is valuable in the postseason, whereas Kelnick, you know, there's too much swing and miss there. I, you know, maybe he has more upside with the home runs, but I'd rather the guy who can more consistently put the ball in play than the guy who might run into one but could strike out, you know, a third of the time. So I'm going to give the edge to Tapia. If it's between those two players, uh, maybe it's somewhat controversial, but I'm going with Tapia. Yeah, I mean, I think the stats spare it out. Like you said, Kalinick's numbers this year have just been absolutely atrocious, and Tapia's come up big. And, you know, whether it's a dunk single into left field or he's crushing one off the second deck in, in right field, like, seems like he's always just in the middle of something mm-hmm. um, when the game is on the line and could just be situationally fluky or maybe there is something there. Um, but he has definitely made an impact on the Jays this year. And I keep saying it, but, you know, going back to April and May where everybody just wanted this guy gone and just get him out of my sight. And now everybody kind of loves Tapia. And if he has to start in left field, uh, if Lourdes Correal Jr. is not ready to go, I don't think you hate it. Um, you obviously wish Lourdes could be out there. He's a, a better player and provides you more upside, but uh, you don't feel terrible um, watching Tapia uh, scoot around there in left field and then obviously come up to the plate uh, in a big spot. Center field. This is going to be interesting because obviously Julio Rodriguez is most likely going to be rookie of the year. He's been sensational this year. He's taken the league by storm. But on the other side, you've got a World Series MVP and a guy who historically has just been a monster in the postseason in George Springer. But he's banged up, uh, obviously dealing with that elbow injury. (laughs) 
I, I don't know where I'm going here because on the one hand, you got a healthy young guy who is just like at the prime of his career, uh, ready to take the league by storm. And then on the flip side, you have a guy who historically has been a beast uh, in the postseason, and at least in the final few weeks of the regular season, look like he was a lot healthier and, and is ready to explode. So I, it's a coin flip for me. And I, and I honestly probably going to keep changing my mind here. I think in the moment, I'm going to say Springer, but I don't love it. Yeah, this is a tough one for sure. This is the toughest one. All of what you said is true. Um, Springer is one of the best postseason performers of this era. He's tied for fifth in postseason home runs with 19, OPS well over 800. You know, has had, even when he is average or whatever, um, isn't as good, he still comes up with home runs. A couple of postseasons ago, his slash line wasn't as high, but he still hit four home runs in, in the postseason. I'm going J-Rod though, because... Literally, he is he is it for the Mariners. If he's not good, they are not winning this series by and large. Like he's got to be real good. If he's bad or just average, uh, some a couple of other guys are gonna have to step up because he is everything. He's the just the entire ecosystem for this Mariners lineup. And I just think that he's just more important to Seattle. As important as Springer is, you know, like their Jays aren't as good without him, but I the Seattle's not anything without Julio Rodriguez you think they're having this year without him anchoring their lineup playing good defense running the bases I, it, it's definitely this is a photo finish for sure both are such crucial players to the other but I'm going with J-Rod all right let's get to right field where obviously Teoscar Hernandez is going to start for the Blue Jays and Mitch Hanniger on the other side for the Mariners. Hanniger, of course, has dealt with a lot of injuries this year and same with Teoscar. So both of those guys in similar boats, the uh, season long numbers for Hanniger uh, limited to just 57 games this year, but did hit 11 home runs uh, is a guy that can be, you know, decent in the outfield. Uh, Teoscar seemingly heating up at the perfect time right now, Josh, uh, coming up with some big hits down the stretch. You're going with Teo. You're going with Hanniger. Who do you like in right field? I'm going with Teo Oscar. Uh, I think this is another one that is a conversation because Hanniger is a real solid player, has been basically an above average offensive player every year of his career. But, you know, injuries hurt him. He's not good defensively. He's not a disaster, but he's not really delivering much in the way of value out there, I would say. And Teo Oscar's hot right now. And when Teo Oscar's hot, he can carry you big time. We've seen it for a number of years now. He's capable of putting the team on his back for a stretch when he's really going good. And that's the case right now. He's back in the cleanup spot, which is where I believe he was born to play and born to be slotted in for this Blue Jays lineup. So I'm going with Tay Oscar. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he has a big series for the Jays. Yeah, he could definitely uh, be an X factor, and maybe we'll get into that momentarily. Before we get to the managers, want to get your thoughts on uh, which team do you think has the bigger depth here on the bench? You look at the Mariners, and you know guys like uh, Abraham Toro, the Canadian. You know that's a sort of a pesky guy that could potentially uh, play a role here in this series, uh, depending on what happens with you know Dylan Moore if he's ready to go, Jared Kalenic, Taylor Trammell, like guys we mentioned like that on the Seattle side, and on the Blue Jays side, they, they've got some decisions to make, of course depending on the health of Santiago Espinal and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. But, you know, Gabby Moreno, Bradley Zimmer, Kevin Biggio, Jackie Bradley Jr., like some intriguing names on that side. You hope that these guys don't end up playing a major role, uh, of course, in this series. But, you know, if we're just looking at the bench, uh, who do you think might have the edge there? 
I think you know Dylan Moore is a real nice player uh, for Seattle. Was a well above average offensive player this year, so that helps their cause a little bit. I feel like the Jays bench just it works. It's a good configuration for a postseason situation. Again, like you said, we'll see what happens with Guriel and and Espinal and how that changes the dichotomy of the bench. But you know, assuming they're both healthy, or even if they're not, you know, some combination of Moreno, Biggio. JBJ, you know, Bradley Zimmer. It's not exactly loaded with guys who are, you know, you're feeling great about giving them four at bats in a game, but in the right role and put in the right situation, I think that those guys uh, can help you win a ball game, help you get over the finish line as a pinch runner or a defensive replacement. So uh, it's, it's close, but I would give the, the edge in terms of, you know, how a, a bench can help your postseason chances purely based on that. I think I, I would take what the Jays have a little bit more than what Seattle has. Yeah, I think I would go there as well. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens if uh, Bradley Zimmer is on the team, you know, what that might mean for Gurriel Jr. But I think, like you said, it just kind of fits. Like JBJ, Zimmer, your potential, you know, defensive replacements late in the game. Obviously elite defenders, both of those guys. If Gurriel Jr. can only hit, I mean, he could potentially be, you know, a nice bench bench option um, that you could use in a pinch hitting opportunity. Gabby Moreno, like I, I think, you know, he obviously has shown at times this year, he can put the bat on the ball. He can do a lot of different things, play a bunch of different positions. So um, I think maybe there's a little bit more upside on the Blue Jays end of things with regards to, to the bench the uh, managers on both sides here we've got scott service for the m's a guy that's obviously uh been a part of this uh, m's team for a long time here finally getting into the postseason and john schneider who gets his first crack in his first year as an uh, interim manager of the blue jays making the postseason you know at first glance you're thinking okay i'm gonna lean with the uh, guy that's uh you know, managed in Major League Baseball for a long time here. Uh, obviously, he's been around the game for many, many years. Uh, but on the flip side, you've got a guy in uh, John Schneider who seemingly knows uh, his team so well, has uh, been in the org for a long time, has grown up really with uh, a lot of these guys. These questions are always tough for me. Like, you know, who do you side with and, and you know, who has the edge managerially? Uh, I think if we're looking at like Tony La Russa or something, like that's easy. Like I'm always going to pick against Tony La Russa. Yeah. Or if we're looking at Buck Showalter, like I'm probably going to pick against Buck Showalter. But honestly, like I, I don't think it really matters. Like both of these guys, um, you know, we always talk about bullpens and, you know, the manager's impact is the bullpen. Scott Service has got a ridiculous bullpen. So all he has to do is, you know, make that phone call and whatever mutants comes out of there is going to be the right move. And, you know, John Schneider uh, can kind of do something similar now that he's, you know, got his uh, pen lined up. But like, is this even a thing to you? Is this even a factor, the two managers? I think to an extent, I think in a lot of ways, you're as, as good of a postseason manager as your bullpen is sometimes. I know you have to push the right buttons and and play the matchups right, but if you have got a good bullpen, odds are you'll be able to manage it effectively. I think that there is, you know, an element. Sometimes I, I think there's it can be bullshit a little bit. Uh, you know, the rah rah. How do you motivate your guys in in a certain situation? And I think both of these guys are are capable of it. Both are playoff rookies, right? Scott Service has never managed a postseason game. John Schneider has never managed a postseason game. So. um I'll I'll give the edge to service. I you know I don't have a ton of conviction. There have been John Schneider's done a lot of good stuff. Um, there have been there's been the odd you know head scratching situations, bullpen deployment here or there. 
you know, the, the challenge stuff, I don't really throw that on him. That's a, that's a higher up conversation. Whoever is in charge of the video room, making those decisions. But like, I don't, I don't put a ton of stock into like, I don't know how much a manager is winning or losing you a ball game. A bad decision is a bad decision, but your guys are your guys and you ride with your guys. And if they can't get the job done, no matter what you do, what machinations, what musical chairs you play, if the guys you're supposed to be able to trust in the bullpen generally can't get the job done, then I'm not going to throw the manager under the bus for that. So I'll go with service, but you know, I, I don't really have strong feelings, I would say, one way or the other over it. Yeah, I don't really have strong feelings uh, either. I think, you know, what's kind of interesting about the Mariners and, you know, kind of getting back to their bullpen is that they've got so many options that, let's say, you know, Eric Swanson is the first guy that comes out of the pen. And it's like, yeah, of course you want to go to the guy with the sub two ERA, but he gets knocked around for whatever reason. Like Mariners fans are going to lose their shit being like, why would you bring in Swanson here? Like, why didn't you bring in Penn Murphy? Or why didn't you bring in Matt Brash? Like, it's almost kind of like, you have too many options yeah. that, you know, it kind of makes things a little bit difficult in that. That's it's fair. like, who do you go to? Whereas the Blue Jays, it's like, it's pretty obvious who's coming in, right? Like you're not yeah. going to Adam Simber in the seventh inning of a one run game. Like you're going to Anthony Bass or Jimmy Garcia, um, potentially Tim Mesa, depending on the matchup. So, you know, for John Schneider, like it's pretty, um, it's a lot simpler, I would say. Like, I, I don't want to say simpler because I imagine there's going to be some decisions that are going to be difficult and him and P. Walker are going to have to figure it out. Um, but on the flip side for Scott Service, it's like, I got five, six guys that I could use here. It's like, you know, if I pick the one guy that I trust, but he blows up in my face, that's, that's, fair. Like, that's a little bit tough. So, um, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying I lean either way on this. I just think it's an interesting conversation. Yeah. Uh, it's never bad to have, you know, more options. I would rather be Scott service and have, you know, five mutants to pick from than uh, just, you know, three that the blue Jays have, but uh, might be something uh, to watch here, at least just from a, fr- a fan standpoint uh, to kind of look back at some revisionist history when this thing is all said and done. All right, before we get to our predictions for this series, let's do X factors. Give me one guy on each team do you, that you think could be the one that turns the tide. Are you going back to, to Rymel Tapia, who you mentioned earlier? Well, I, 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 yeah, he's, it, let's see how much he plays. You know, I think even if Guriel's on the roster, I think, you know, his, uncertainty in terms of his health, I think is probably going to lead to more Tapia. So he's, yeah, for sure. I'm riding with him. I do think I said a couple of weeks ago, I think Matt Chapman, you know, has really struggled and could punctuate what has been a successful first season with the blue Jays. You know, he's talked in the past about how the, he's just hasn't been able to the one game playoffs because that's the only experience he's had with the A's. I think twice, hasn't it just he hasn't felt comfortable it's hard to settle in it's one game it's difficult he's already talked about how you know best at three maybe allows a little bit more time to settle in and 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 not you know treat every single pitch like it's your last which I think you kind of push and pull with that you sort of want that but at the same time you know you want to play loose and and carefree as much as you can considering the stakes but I, I think that you know he is the type of player and has the type of personality and mindset to elevate during the postseason, And I'm going to go with him. I, I think that he has the potential with his glove, obviously, and his ability to get on base and see a lot of pitches, which is a valuable factor for his teammates in the postseason. You know, 
drive up a pitch count, just allow his teammates to see what somebody else is working with in terms of a pitcher and obviously the power. There's a lot that he could do to influence the outcome of ball games. And uh, I'm going to trust in his talent and his just overall package as a ball player to be able to get the job done. Yeah, I think that's a good choice for sure. You know, on the Blue Jays side, I think I've been going back and forth. Like Danny Jansen is a guy that I keep coming back to because I think in an optimal lineup, he and Alejandro Kirk are both in there. And if the bottom third of this lineup for the Blue Jays can keep doing what they've been doing all season, which is, you know, turning it over to the top of the lineup, obviously producing, that could be a big swing in this series. Um, But honestly, I I think Whit Merrifield is the guy that I've really circled. Um, If he can keep up this level of play that he's had, it just makes such a big difference uh, if he's batting down at the bottom of the order, uh, setting things up for the top of the lineup. And we've even seen him drive in a lot of runs and he's got the ability to steal a base uh, as well in a key moment. He's rock solid at second base, does a lot of smart things. Uh, it just seems like it took him a while to get comfortable. And now he finally is. He's feeling good about his game right now. So, you know, this could be the Whit Merrifield's uh, series uh, when we look back on it uh, for the Blue Jays and on the flip side for the Mariners. I mean, you said it earlier about his, you know, ability to, you know, change a series. Uh, if Julio Rodriguez isn't up to snuff, I think it's going to be really difficult uh, for the Mariners to win this one mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the Blue Jays will be able to sort of, you know, pitch around him, I think. And they rather, you know, have to face some of the other guys who have a lot of dynamite in their bats, of course. But, you know, if there's one guy that the Jays don't want beating them in this series, it's Julio Rodriguez. And I think if they can slow him down, that makes things a little bit more difficult for the rest of their lineup. All right, three games. Should I quickly, go should I give it. my oh, yeah, Mariners X-Factors? Yeah. I should have done that the, the first time here. And I mentioned Frazier, um, who I think can be important. We haven't talked about Carlos Santana, and I understand <laughs> just that. Don't uh, just his don't numbers, throw fastballs. numbers, yes, agreed. His numbers are bad. Like he, his last three years, he's been below average. And this year is just above average offensively. But we saw it in Seattle. I think he hit two big-time home runs. He hit the three-run bomb or two-run bomb, whatever it was, in the game that swept the Jays off of Simber. He also hit one off of Manoa that I believe broke a tie. You make a mistake to Carlos Santana, he will punish you. And he has a penchant for coming up big in the postseason. We saw it in 2016 when he's with Cleveland. I don't feel great when I see Carlos Santana on the opposite side. I know he's a little bit older now. You know, he's 36 years old. There's still thump in that bat. You know, just don't let him beat you. But at the same time, you know, he still has a good eye. doesn't strike out a ton. So if you're, you know, not throwing him fastballs, he's good enough to not necessarily swing just don't miss down the middle of the plate dot the corners with fastballs if you miss over the heart of the plate trouble is going to follow you so be careful with carlos santana i know the numbers aren't good but i still don't feel anything other than fear when i see him on the other side uh of the batter's box yeah he's a guy that can still swing it hit some big homers for the mariners since coming to seattle in that trade from kansas city all right, here we go. Prediction time. Three games this weekend. Blue Jays, Mariners, wild card round. Expansion Cousins from 1977. Mariners haven't been, of course, in the playoffs in uh, 21 years. Blue Jays, if you want to count 2020, it's only been a couple of years. But if you don't want to count 2020, it's been six seasons since uh, 2016, of course. The uh, the Ryan Merritt series, which uh, we all uh, remember and love. Who are you going with here? It's it's tighter than I thought it would be, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I think I got to pick Blue Jays. Like, I think on paper, it just makes more sense. 
but it wouldn't shock me if the Blue Jays went out in two, went out in three. Wouldn't surprise me if they won it in two, won it in three. Like, so many different possibilities here that I wouldn't be surprised. But I will, uh, for the sake of this show and a prediction, I will say Blue Jays uh, win it in two. They will oh, uh, take there the you first go. two. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't think this is going three. Okay. Well, so I've agonized over this and, you know, a part of me is just like, well, I'm picking the Jays because, you know, I have to for the sake of this podcast. I, I understand that, you know, they, there's a lot we've talked about that should favor the Blue Jays in this series, but I just can't escape, you know, like, have they all of a sudden figured it out? Maybe. I hope so. I hope I'm wrong, but this just feels to me like, not an ideal matchup as much as we've talked about how the Jays have the edge in, in certain factors. I think that the two big ones of the rotation and the bullpen being a toss up and a win are big factors in this series. And I just think that even if on the whole, the Jays have a more talented lineup, there's enough that Seattle has to take advantage of mistakes that the blue Jays might make pitching wise. And in the bullpen, and I'm I I've gone back and forth. It's always been three games, but I'm going to take the Mariners in three. I think you know I just I can't shake it. I can't get away from it. I really hope I'm wrong. Maybe this is a reverse jinx, but I'm <laughs> going with the Mariners in three. I just as soon as it looked like this was coming into focus, I just didn't love the vibe of the matchup, and I haven't been able to move away from that. So I'm going to go with the Mariners in three. All right. Sounds like there's going to be a lot of happiness hedging. Uh, in this series, I've already begun. So uh, for those people that don't know what that is, it's basically you bet against your team and you bet an amount of money that uh, you would be happy losing to uh, see your team win. So that's something you could definitely do uh, as the Mariners are most likely going to be an underdog in every single one of these games uh, in these three games against the Blue Jays. So uh, maybe there's a chance here that uh, if the Blue Jays go out in two or three, you'll at least uh, line your pockets with a little bit more money and uh, you can go spend it uh, on uh, some food or something to make yourself feel better about the Blue Jays being out of the postseason so quickly. But it's going to be a hell of a series, man. And uh, we will obviously be back once it's all over on Monday, which is crazy. It's going to be like a blink of an eye and it's going to be over. And either the Blue Jays are flying out to Houston, getting ready for the ALDS, or uh, they're going to be flying home for the offseason. So uh, that's how quickly things can change here in the wild card around but that'll do it for this edition uh the designated for assignment podcast as always get us on twitter at dfa underscore pod at rob wong 34 and at jay goldberg 12 for josh i'm rob thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week